qualifying for Boston was literally like on my mind right from the outset. As soon as I decided I was going to run a full marathon, I was like, I want to run Boston. That's the ultimate marathon and that's the one that I want to run. So what do I have to do to get there? That was Chris Lemke. And this is episode 89 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. For all you aspiring Boston Marathon runners, this episode is for you. Chris Lemke is a 50-year-old runner from Winnipeg who started chasing after his Boston dream in 2017. Over the past five plus years, there have been incredible highs, but also excruciating lows, which Chris details beautifully in this conversation. Three weeks ago on May 21st, 2022, on his seventh attempt, he crossed the finish line of the Fargo Marathon in a time of 319.01, which we're confident will put him amongst the 30,000 runners to tow next year's start line in Hopkinton. As Chris's coach for this training cycle, I can vouch for his dedication and commitment to the entire process beyond just the running, but I also learned some new things that leave me even more impressed by his accomplishment. If there's one takeaway from Chris's story that we can all stand to hear on repeat, it's to never, ever give up. Your day will eventually come if you simply put your head down and do the work. So let's get into it with Chris Lemke. All right. Well, Chris, thanks so much for joining us on Inspired Souls. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. Well, you have had one heck of a wild ride qualifying for the Boston Marathon, and we are going to go deep in the weeds of all of those stories tonight. But before we go any further, we just want to say a big, huge congratulations on a phenomenal race in Fargo, where you finally sealed the deal and qualified for Boston. Are you still feeling on a super big high from that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it uh, the smile hasn't left my face and uh, I think about it constantly. Yes, your that image of you coming across the finish line and I won't spoil it now. It's like seared into my memory and we'll probably never I'll never ever forget that moment. What a fantastic moment. But let's back the bus up and yep. start by getting to know you a little bit better. So maybe you could paint us a little picture. Who is Chris Lemke? Uh, where do you live? What do you enjoy doing outside of running? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Chris Lemke, I live in Winnipeg. I've lived here for, well, almost my whole life. I'm 50 now. So I've lived here for, I think about 35 years. I'm originally from Southern Ontario around the Niagara Falls area. Yeah. I work in retail. I've worked in retail pretty much my whole life. What do I like to do outside of running? Honestly, not a heck of a lot. <laughs> um, when I'm not running, I'm usually thinking about my next run or planning what my next run's going to look like. So that's what I love to do the most. And that's pretty much what I do. Well, I don't think you'd be the first runner to say that, hey, I don't, I'm not super well-rounded outside of running. I just run and I think about running a lot and I would put myself in that camp too. So no judgment there, but I do have to ask, what brought you to Winnipeg from Southern Ontario? Oh, you know, I wish I had a choice back then, but I think I was only about 15 or 16 when that happened. So I, you know, my parents moved here and I just moved with them. So it was kind of, I was kind of forced to. And ever since I've always thought like, 
someday I'm going to go back and, you know, live down there again, the, the beautiful weather. And yeah. I just absolutely love it down there, but I don't know. Winnipeg's kind of home now. So okay. here we are. It has a way of drawing you in, right? I'm, I'm yeah, in absolutely. that process as we speak. Well, and I'm in the process of letting go of the place that drew me in. And it really surprised me when I left Winnipeg. Like you, you might think the place you left is never the same if you go back to it. <clears throat> and Winnipeg has such an amazing community of people. And I think we'll probably hear a little bit about the running community. And uh, yeah, your experience is running in Winnipeg on this show. so For sure. So Chris, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about how and when you got into running? What's your running origin story? All right. Well, up until 2014, I lived a very unhealthy lifestyle. I was a smoker my whole life. Yeah, look at it. Carolyn shocked. Um, I had no so yeah. idea. <laughs> I was a smoker, like I said, my whole life. And I tried to quit smoking numerous times. And there were some times that kind of lasted longer than others. And during those little breaks, I would take up running. Uh, I even managed to sneak in a couple of half marathons way back uh, in the early years. But 2014 is when I finally kicked it forever. After that, I had a really challenging time with my weight. Really, that's kind of what started it for me. I, I packed on probably 40 to 50 pounds. I was pushing 200 and I just was not feeling well at all. So I said, I'm going to buy a treadmill and I'm going to get back into running. Looked on Kijiji, found a treadmill for like 50 bucks, picked it up, started running every night downstairs. And then... Next thing I knew, I was signing up for another half marathon and I did actually pretty well. So I thought, okay, I'm going to, you know, take this a little further, looked for, you know, people to run with groups to run with outside of my basement and, uh, you know, ran a couple more half marathons and kept getting better and realized that I was actually kind of good at it. So, and I really, really enjoyed it. And I managed to, you know, shed all those extra pounds that I packed on after I quit smoking. I, so I dropped it all off. So I lost 30 to 40 pounds again and was feeling wow. great. And uh, yeah, then I, I managed to hook up with um, a local running group called Winnipeg Run Club, started hanging out with that community. And after that, it was, just became my life. Oh my goodness. I need a better intake form or something. I feel like, how did I miss this whole, I think I got your like immediate history, right? Like what had happened right. in the last couple of years, but I did not know any of that backstory. So when you first started running half marathons and you, and then you kept getting better each time, talk us through that progression. Yeah. So like I said, I had just purchased a treadmill and I was only, I had no clue what I was doing. I had nobody telling me what to do. I, I you know, I, I read a few things here and there. I didn't even have like a watch. I had no idea how fast I was going or how far I was going. I was just running. I purchased the treadmill at the end of the year. So it was in the, it was in winter. And then once spring came, I started to run outside a little bit. The Manitoba marathon was coming up. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, this is, this is a good chance to kind of see what I got. So I purchased a little activity tracker uh, and, you know, away I went and I basically just was following some kind of guidance that I was, that I had found online just on, you know, how to train for a half marathon and whatnot. Right. And, you know, tried to follow mileage and things, but I really didn't have a clue about pace. I just kind of knew I just wanted to go as fast as I could for as long as I could. You know, the first actual half marathon I did after I got serious about it, I, 
I think it was around 152 or something like that. So I thought, oh, that's pretty good for my yeah. first goal. And then the following year, the Manitoba Marathon came around again. And, you know, I had still been running all year, but still not really a clue what I was doing. But I still managed to improve. I, I ended up finishing around 147, something like that. So I took five minutes off my time. And after that, once I once I hooked up with Winnipeg Run Club, I started to meet all these people. And of course, everybody's talking about races and paces and all these different things. You know, had they had all the gadgets and everything. So of course, I, you know, picked myself up a proper watch and started actually paying attention to what I was doing and, and actually trying to improve. And uh, eventually I ended up, I don't want to get too far ahead, but eventually I ended up signing up with uh, with a coach here, a local mm-hmm. coach here in the city. Uh, that was kind of more to get ready for the full marathon, my first Great. full marathon, but which was um, when? When was this? The first one was in 2017. That was also uh, in Fargo. Really, I, I decided to sign up for that one because once I was kind of getting serious about those half marathons and started to see some improvement, not just in races, but just in my everyday fitness and, and, and whatnot, mm-hmm. I ran the WFPS half in 2016. I, I did pretty well. I ran that one in like 135. Again, that was with like really no formal training or anything. I just ran, right? And I did really well. I was so excited, like how well I did in that race. I was like, I got to do a full marathon now. Like that's obviously next. Obvious, and it's funny. Yes. Yeah, like obviously <laughs> half. So after that, it, you know, I was so pumped. I was on social media putting things out there and, you know, it's like everyone does. And Jonathan, my first coach, actually reached out to me through social media and he's like, Hey, uh, I hear you're thinking about doing a full marathon. You know, if you if you want some help, if you if you're looking to you know get some help with that, or maybe a coach, you know, let me know. So that's the road I went down for for that, and uh, yeah, he helped me get through my first, well, actually, my first few full marathons. Okay, so going from a 152 to a 135 half marathon, like it, in little increments, five minutes here, three minutes there, whatever. I've never been a smoker, but I have to imagine it's almost more addictive than smoking. Is that true or false from your perspective? It actually, you know, I'd say it's very similar. It's, I mean, <laughs> yeah. once I started seeing that improvement and feeling so much better and yeah. and and enjoying it so much, it, it really was like, like an addictive drug. Like you just, I just kept wanting more and more and to just improve all the time. Yeah. Okay. So in 2017, with the help of Jonathan, you ran your first marathon in Fargo. So tell us about that experience and when trying for a Boston qualifier actually came onto your radar. Okay. So qualifying for Boston was literally like on my mind right from the outside. As soon as I decided I was going to run a full marathon. I was like, I want to run Boston. That's like the ultimate marathon. In my opinion, that's the ultimate marathon. And that's the one that I want to run. So what do I have to do to get there? And mm-hmm. uh, So Jonathan and I talked about that. And, you know, we, we put a plan together for me to train for Fargo. Uh, it was, you know, five or six months of training. And at the time, he was a, a run coach. It still is, I, I guess. And he hadn't coached any of his runners to qualify for Boston. So I kind of took that myself as like a challenge. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be the first one that you coach. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I'm going to be the first one to qualify for Boston. So that was a little bit of motivation for me. And I, I just really wanted to do it. I thought to myself, like, how cool would it be to be able to do that on my first try? 
I mean, I had no idea how difficult a marathon was at the time. And what was your BQ at the time? Because you would have been 45 to 49 age category? I was, yeah. So then it was it was 325. When, you know, when I was going to turn 50, I would have added an extra 10 minutes to that time. Right. But then after 2018, they changed those qualifying times. So I, I lost that buffer. So okay. I'm still 325, even though I'm, you know, in the next age category now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, so we'll talk about the how to qualify for Boston in a second. You've alluded to a lot of the pieces of it, but what happened with this training cycle for 2017 Fargo? How did it go for you? The training cycle itself was good. I, I had a few injuries. It, it was a lot of a lot more running than what I had been used to. And I had a few injuries. I've been kind of injury prone, like pretty much my whole running career. Mm. So I've had to deal with a lot of different things. So at that time, being the first one, it was difficult for me to kind of wrap my head around that I was injured and I now all of a sudden I couldn't run. And how can you tell me that I can't run? What don't you understand? I'm training for a marathon. Like I have to run. Uh, so I had to take some time off during that training cycle. But it's still, by the time I got there, I still felt like I was prepared. Okay. Uh, and I was ready ready to roll on race day. And, and I feel like we had a pretty solid strategy. But then, you know, I got to mile 20 and I just hit a wall and I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't finish as fast as I had been going. You're like, oh, this is the wall that everyone's talking mm -hmm. about. Right. You know, yeah. everybody told me, you know, about mm -hmm. mile 20 and what happens at that point. And that's when you got to run with heart and all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm fine. <laughs> I can run 20 miles. What's another 10 K. But, um, yeah, no, it happened on the first time. And I ended up finishing uh, in three hours and 33 minutes. So okay. I still finished well. That's mm -hmm. great for your first marathon. Yeah, but eight minutes short of, of your goal. I get that. Yeah, so I missed the goal, but it was okay. You know, I, I really enjoyed the experience. And I learned so much that throughout the training process and during the race. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Like, what did you learn in that first race that you then carried with you forward? Yeah, for sure. Well, first and foremost, like just how difficult a full marathon is. Mm. Prior to that marathon, I thought that it was a marathon was just physical. Like all I had to do was just go and run yeah. it. And mm -hmm. the better shape I'm in, the better chance I had. But I didn't really realize the mental part behind it and, and how tough you have to be especially at the end of the race in order to be able to finish that's really what i took with me into 2018 when i was starting to prepare again for the next full um and i think that was the biggest difference was just kind of a shift in the way where my head was at what my mindset was going into the second marathon that was a big part of why i was more successful the second time around than than the first i was just mentally more prepared and there was other things too like you know nutrition wise and rest and hydration mm. and all of those things the unsexy stuff <laughs> yeah like you practice yep. things like that during your training cycle but on race day it's a whole different story right and you know I, I feel like you need to experience it a few times in order to kind of figure out what works and, and what doesn't so Oh, we've talked about that many times before on our show about how the value of experience is is all those little and sometimes big things that 
really don't have much to do with actually running, right? That can make or break your race. The, the nutrition, the mindset, the weather planning, the, the blister chafing plan, all of that really? stuff, you know, is, is really important. And you only get that through experience. So now let's move on into, you know, 2018. I understand you went back to Fargo with Jonathan. And let's just mention here that Jonathan we're referring to is Jonathan Torquia, who um, was on our show back in November in episode 64. And so anyhow, he coached you moving into 20, the race in 2018 at Fargo. And how old were you that year? 47. 47. Yeah, okay. 47. Um, and our notes here say that you ran a 320 in Fargo and you BQ'd that year. So tell us about that day. So what was your goal? You know, what time did you want to hit? Let's talk about all of that stuff now. For sure. So yeah, my, my goal actually was 320. My Boston qualifying time was, was 325. Okay. Uh, but we wanted to, we wanted to try and finish in 320 uh, just to try and, beat the, the buffer that comes with qualifying for Boston. Talk to me about this buffer. Okay. Sure. So not everybody might understand that when you qualify yet, why do you need a buffer? Right. So with Boston, the biggest thing is there's a limit to the field size that they allow. So they'll typically have 30,000 runners, uh, probably about 8,000. I, I don't know if that's hundred percent accurate, but I think it's around 8,000 charity runners, and then about 22,000 qualifiers, people who have to get in through qualifying by hitting a certain time standard uh, based on their age. And because so many people attempt to qualify and want to qualify and want to run that race, they have a hard cap of 30,000 people. And some years there may be 35,000 people that actually hit their qualifying time, but they're only going to choose the top 30,000 fastest. Well, uh, you know, taking out the charity runners out of there. So even if you qualify, doesn't necessarily guarantee that you'll get to run the race. Uh, you need to be, I call it extra qualified. Just, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, you need to add on some extra time to your actual qualifying time just to make sure that you can get in there. So it varies from year to year too. So depending on how many people actually hit their qualifying time, will determine what that buffer time is for you. So for example, I'll just talk about 2018 for me. My qualifying time was 325. I finished in 320 and 51 seconds. And the cutoff time was, I missed it by 40 seconds. Mm -hmm. The buffer was four minutes and 50 seconds. So Everyone who qualified that year had to beat their qualifying time by four minutes and 50 seconds in order to have a chance to get in. Okay. So you trained for and ran that race thinking, okay, I'll do three, I'll aim for 320 because, you know, obviously your training had maybe indicated that you were close to that. So you're like, I'll train with and run with this huge buffer, like a five minute buffer to guarantee. Yeah. So then you cross the finish line that day thinking like, yay, I did it. Like I BQ'd, right? And then when did you find out that the buffer was actually four and a half minutes or whatever that you didn't make it? Like talk to us about that experience. Man, how heart-wrenching is that? It was, it was tough. I'm honestly, 
what day was Fargo? May 21st this year. So I think I got over it finally on May 21st. I, I carried that with me for the last like three years or four years. Mm-hmm. That was a tough one to get over because so Fargo runs in May. Registering for Boston happens in September. So you have May to September to kind of just sit and wait before you can actually do anything. But in the meantime, I I was so excited, like finishing that race and, and, and beating it by, you know, over four minutes. I was so excited. I thought for sure I was in. Yeah. Like it was no doubt in my mind. And so much so that I booked my hotel, bought my airline tickets, everything. And yeah, yeah. I went Expensive. all Yeah. So then September rolls around and everybody gets to register who qualified. And, and even just registering was just a cool process in itself, just being able to do that. Mm-hmm. So the registration process takes about two weeks for them. And then they get back to everybody uh, fairly quickly with, you know, the results. And I'll never forget it. I was at the dentist and I was, you know, paying my bill or whatever, just doing the paperwork. And I knew that that was going to be posted soon. So I was literally like checking my email every 30 seconds and looking on Facebook to see if there was any updates. And I was at the dentist desk and I looked at my phone and I was like, four minutes and 50 seconds. What? I was just like distraught at that point. And then I had to drive home and I was like, I immediately called Jonathan and I was like, did you see what just happened? Like, did you, see, did you hear what the news? And he hadn't at that point. Cause it literally just came out. He wasn't checking his email every 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't. No. Uh, just everybody who had registered was. And I mean, I was like, I was crushed at that point. I, I couldn't believe it. It took me a while to kind of just get over the initial disappointment. But then, you know, after I realized it just wasn't going to happen and that's just, there's nothing I could do about it. I immediately made a plan to just try again. And, mm. you know, my next plan was going to be a Manitoba marathon uh, in 2019. I immediately wanted to get back to work and just try again and try and get faster uh, and just try and do better and registered for Manitoba right away uh, in 2019. But between 2019 and 2022, there was quite a few setbacks and, and different things that happened along the way. A few races and a few injuries that kind of yeah. kept me down. But a little pandemic in there, and <laughs> yeah, and that, yeah, and that. Uh, so, okay, let's go back though to 2019. You ran mm-hmm. Manitoba in 2019, and did you BQ that year? 2019, no, I registered for Fargo again. So after I got over the 2018 disappointment, I immediately registered for Fargo again, uh, which would have been. May 2019, uh, the plan was to run the full and try and qualify again, but I was unable to even run. I, I got injured along the way. So I ended up just going down to Fargo to just watch. How was that? You know, some people might not have been able to watch like their friends thinking, okay, you know, that should be me. So how did you feel as a spectator that year? I, I enjoy watching races and then I, I especially like watching my friends race. So, you know, it, it was tough, obviously, like I'm super competitive and running is what I love. And that's where I wanted to be. was out there running with them, but mm-hmm. yeah, so it was disappointing, but I knew that, you know, this wasn't the first injury that I'd faced and I knew that I would get through it and I would just register for something else and, and try again. Uh, so that's what we did. Jonathan and I talked about, 
what could possibly be next. And we got a little crazy. In the meantime, a bunch of us from here uh, in Winnipeg, we, we all ended up running the New York Marathon in 2019. So that's November 29th, fall of 2019? That was November, yeah. So that was, I, I, I use the word just for fun, kind of loosely, because running a marathon, I, I wouldn't really say is what you do for fun. <laughs> but um, it wasn't like I was going there to try and qualify or anything. I was just going to experience New York and the event and yeah. whatnot. Uh, but in the meantime, Jonathan and I also registered for the California International Marathon in Sacramento in December of 2019. And that was our goal race. That was where I was going to try and qualify again. During the training process for CIM, I started to develop another injury. This injury was more serious. It was like a knee injury and it was, you know, I still kind of have it, but it's, it's manageable now. As he says, with just a little half smile, like, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I, I, it's manageable now. Like I run with like a knee brace now and it kind of helps me deal with the, with the pain of that. So uh, there's no pain there anymore. But during that training cycle for CIM, there was a lot of pain and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And again, everything was booked and planned and ready to go. So we went to Sacramento and the first half of the race went exactly according to plan. You know, I was just flying along and I got to the 13.1 mark. There was a big, huge sign that said, you're halfway there. And I was just like, there is no way I can keep this up for another 13 miles. My knee just felt like it was broken and I just couldn't keep it up. So ended up kind of limping to the finish on that one. So that was... Um, you know, another somewhat disappointing finish. Ah. But again, you know, I, I never really got too disappointed with any of the failures that I have because I just realized like how difficult it is to actually just finish a marathon. You know, I still managed to finish that Sacramento run in under four hours. It was, uh, there was a lot of hobbling involved, but I still On managed. On a knee injury. Yeah, with a pretty severe knee injury. It wasn't a total waste that, you know, I, I still managed to get it done. Missed the goal again, but that's okay. I literally signed up for another marathon on the when I was waiting in the airport to come back from Sacramento. So this was now we're at the end of 2019. Don't going you, into wait 20. A minute. Don't you know you're supposed to freeze your credit cards and blocks of ice for the first two weeks <laughs> after every single race? <laughs> See, that's why. No, that that's why everybody needs a really good coach. The coach needs to tell them that because. <laughs> No one ever mentioned that to me at the time. Um, I think that's just what every runner does as soon as they finish the race. Is oh, they're just we like all do it. We all slapping do it. it down. Okay, so this takes us into 2020, and then there was this pesky little uh, like. Did you have a race on your radar when the pandemic came into our lives? Absolutely. So after Sacramento, at the airport, I registered for Manitoba in June of 2020. Um, okay. that was going to be, you know, my next attempt. Um, and then, yeah, in, in March, obviously everything changed for everybody. So that race was canceled in hindsight. Now I feel like that was pro for me at that time, that was actually a good thing. Cause I was really injured. My knee was not good. And I really had no business even thinking about trying to start training for another marathon without, trying to get, deal with that problem. So 
you know, when the pandemic started, that's what I did. Like I, I dealt with the knee problem uh, with the help of my doctor and that's fine now. So with Manitoba okay, Marathon hold, being... Hold on, hold on. Let's just pause here a little bit. Let's not brush over this rather significant blip in the process that, that you know, of your BQ journey. So let's talk about that a little bit. The pandemic happened and it came with mixed blessings. It gave you the blessings of time and, you know, your need to focus on your knee. So just briefly, like what, what did you do with your doctor to doctor's advice to get over your knee injury? You know, we're both running PTs at heart. So we're kind of curious about this. Mm -hmm. So I worked with Dr. Lowen, at, oh, uh, Sylvia. Yes. Okay. Of she course. was on your podcast no too. Wonder you feel great now, but anyways, yeah. <laughs> what was her great advice for you? She encouraged me to, you know, take the time to rest first and foremost mm -hmm. and do some mm -hmm. strength training, try and mm -hmm. get back into, you know, not running shape, but just, you know, try and get my legs back into shape, work mm -hmm. on some things that would, you know, prevent it from getting worse. She helped fit me for, like a, a knee brace that I could use while running, uh, mm -hmm. an unloader type of knee brace that um, just basically solved all the problems that I was having with my knee. So you had, was it like a medial joint knee unloader, like it offset? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly okay. what it is. Yeah. yeah. And I literally ran with that same brace every time I run for the last two years. And I, I don't have any issues anymore. And the, the issue itself is still there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this brace enables me to do what I want to do exactly mm -hmm. how I need to do it. So uh, I was really, really fortunate. And tell me she told you to strengthen your glutes, too. I'm sure she told you that, right? That's oh, that's that's what everybody tells me to do. Of course. So, yes, okay. she so definitely did. <laughs> over that. Like, it wasn't just the knee brace. I hope you did no. your glute work. <laughs> always. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I always do the glute work. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Everybody always does that. Yes, we yeah. all every runner does, right? <laughs> Anyways, okay, so that's that's great. You um you utilized the challenges but also the gifts of the pandemic to your advantage and you took mm -hmm. care of your knee problem. So you finally got another crack at the marathon when things, I believe our race here, the Manitoba Marathon was the first kind of big city race back uh, from COVID. So September 5th, 2021. So talk to us about your training for that one, because if I recall, it was a little uncertain, like, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? We had all been burned by that several times already in the pandemic. So what did your training look like leading into the Manitoba Marathon? For sure. Yeah. That one was a trickier one too, because originally I think we were all kind of expecting the Manitoba to run in June. I think the original plan was for it to run at its regular time. So I was still working with Jonathan at the time and we started up uh, our marathon plan in January, uh, yeah. thinking that the race was going to happen in June. And then not long after that, after we started training early in the year, Manitoba, the, the marathon people, they've, they realized that it wasn't going to happen and they postponed it to September. So I think that was a prolonged kind of a good your thing. training cycle. It, it prolonged it, but it, you know, just kind of gave me a little more time to kind of recover and just kind of build up that base again from coming back from a series of injuries. The training process was, I guess, not normal so to speak for training for a full marathon mm -hmm. but it was yeah like you say it was prolonged but it was still for me at the time it worked and I felt 
that going into that September race, uh, at the time I felt like I was probably in the best shape I'd ever been and probably more ready to, to race than I ever had been before. We had an extremely hot summer that year. It seemed like every time we went out for a run, it was over 30 degrees. It was extremely hot. And I felt like at the time I felt like that was doing me a favor training in that really difficult, uh, those difficult conditions. I thought, Oh, by the time I get to September, it's, you know, it's going to be cool and I'm going to be in such great shape, but it actually, I feel like maybe that kind of worked against me in the end, but yeah, going into to the Manitoba in September, I felt like I was, I was ready to knock one out mm-hmm. of the park for sure. And so how old were you at that time? And what was your Boston qualifying time then? Yeah. So then I was 49. Uh, I turned 50 right at the end of 2021. Turning 50 gave me an extra five minutes. So it put me into the next uh, age group. It gave me an extra five minutes. So my qualifying time went from 320 to 325. Okay. Uh, So basically... In my mind, all I had to do was the same thing that I had done in 2018. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just be five minutes faster. <laughs> right. So, yeah, exactly. Got to make sure you get that buffer. I, you know, I was just trying to figure out a way to do it, you know, being, you know, three years older now. Right. So. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. So, but did your training indicate that you were in 320 shape? You said you felt like I, you're in the best shape of your life. Like you went into it fairly confident. So 320 was the goal then. Absolutely. Yeah. I was probably, you know, my, my A goal for that race was probably a little faster than 320. Uh, but 320 was really kind of what I wanted to hit. And yeah, definitely leading up to it. I was right on track for that uh, easily. Leading up to the race, I would say up until about the week before the race was probably right on track. And then I feel like for that particular run, my previous experience almost kind of worked against me. And I I feel like I almost Mm -hmm. kind of took it for granted that I was ready for for this race. I didn't need to pay extra attention to getting some extra rest going into the to the race or making sure that I was fueling properly all week or hydrating properly all week. I just kind of took it for granted that, you know, what I was doing was good enough and it didn't, it wasn't good enough. That day I was feeling really good up until about mile 18. I was right on track uh, until mile 18. And then I started to experience severe cramping and my body was just shutting down. I'll never forget this moment. A good friend of mine, Brandy Adolph, she was right behind me the whole race up until that point. And she blew by me on Kingston Row. And there was nothing I could do about it. I could not make my legs go any faster. I just watched her get further and further away from me. Brandy, also a former guest of the podcast. Exactly. Yes. Oh, how heartbreaking too. Like I just can like you've tried and tried for years and years now, like hearing this all at once, this story, it makes it even more like palpable, just how disappointed you must've been. So you ended up finishing in. Uh, 3.38. I managed to finish. The last four miles were really, really difficult. My body had pretty much completely given up on me and it was a real struggle to, to get to the end. I passed so many of my friends 
I'll never forget. Like I was kind of a little delirious too, but you know, I passed so many people that I knew on the way in those last few miles and they were just like, you know, so encouraging, but also kind of like, what happened? You know, cause you know, <laughs> going, going into the race, it seemed like I was like extremely confident and my training was great. And, you know, I was very kind of vocal about it too. I was never really shy to kind of just throw it out there and say like, Hey, look what I did. And, you know, let's bring it and let's go for it. But yeah, yeah, it didn't work out. You know, this is such a fascinating story because I've experienced that. <clears throat> I've seen it in other runners and I'll fully admit, I think there's the kind of this almost, I don't know if it's a bell curve or what you could call it. So yeah, a runner starts out in, in a said distance or a said path, experience some success is very dialed in on all of the ABCs and the non-sexy stuff, right? We like to call it like the, the nutrition and the sleep and whatever. And then you're right. You would get cocky. And we're like, okay, I've done this three or four times and I've got this. And, and we kind of let some of those things slide and then you're humbled. And then, you know, we, we start to get a reality check of, okay, this stuff actually, you can't put it in the bank and it won't stay there forever. Like you've got to constantly being paying attention to some of these things. And then you learn that next level, we level up a little bit in wisdom mm -hmm. <laughs> and experience, which then can take you to the next step. So Absolutely. I, yeah, this is, I think something really important to highlight and not to miss. So I'm actually really curious now this is like the, the climax of the story. Like what happened in that next step for you? What learning did you take away from all of these years that brought you to 2022? What changed for 2022? Uh, well, a few things changed actually, you know, after that disappointing Manitoba, right after the race, I literally wrote down like everything that went wrong just so I wouldn't make that mistake again things like getting enough rest and eating properly and hydrating properly and just making sure I do all those little things right leading into race day and just making sure I'm taking care of myself and, and doing the right things. Those were the parts that I missed. Those were the things that I was just too cocky about uh, that I was not going to make that mistake again. The other thing was that's when I hired Carolyn. Like that's when we started, you know, you started coaching me and you know, you, you have, a different approach. You added some new things that I, to, you know, the repertoire that weren't there before, um, that I feel like really kind of helped me get over the edge to really kind of take it to another level. And with all the extra strength training and recovery and, and all those things that I think a lot of runners probably maybe skip or pass on because, you know, those things are hard. And, or don't even know about a lot of runners. Or don't maybe that consciously skip these things. I just don't even realize that it's a thing, right? Right. Yeah. Normally the only time we, you know, if you're new to running or, you know, just getting into it or whatever, and you end up getting injured, the only time you know about those things is when you hear it from your physiotherapist, mm -hmm. right? That these things are important and this is what you need to do and you need to fix your glutes. Um, so, <laughs> you know, with Carolyn going into 2022, all of those things were, you know, just as important as putting in the miles and hitting your paces and doing all those, you know, runner specific kind of things. So uh, I feel like that made 
made all the difference for me for sure this year, this time around. So you were being, I'm hearing this, you went into this year being more proactive with those kind of things rather than reactive. It wasn't, I'm responding to knee pain and this is now what I'm doing to fix a mess. You went into it going, I am now going to do these things to perform. Am I hearing you correctly? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, yeah. That was the plan right from the start. And it worked. Obviously, I was successful this year and, you know, we, we had a really good successful race and, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And one part that I'm particularly happy with is I came out of Fargo and I could still run. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't injured. I, I Every other marathon that I've ever ran, I've been pretty much on the shelf for the next two to three months with some pretty serious injuries. But this time, you know, due to being proactive and, and doing all that strength work and, and all that repetitive stuff, uh, I came out of Fargo in one piece and, you know, I was able mm-hmm. to actually continue running and continue training. Mm-hmm. So, Well, just backing up a, a little bit now, we've gone through this journey with you of hearing like how many times you've had your heart broken <laughs> by the marathon <laughs> in this Boston qualifying process. Was there ever did you ever have any reservations uh, about signing up for another marathon, especially after that Manitoba marathon in 2021? Were you ever like, oh, is this for me? Should I just give up? Like, where was your mindset at? Because you alluded to early on, mindset is one of the first things you realized mm-hmm. that you had to work on. And I've observed you to be an extremely mentally tough person and having a, a, your mind in the right place. But did it ever sort of way on you like should I even do this or should I just you know give up actually never like not even for a second like with all the things that I've gone through all the injuries all the setbacks the failed races and whatnot never once did I ever think that I was ever going to not do it even in the most down moments after Manitoba I was like still thinking what's next like which race is going to be next and (laughs) you know what can I do differently Okay. So you talked a little bit about some of the the things that we did differently. So we started training together January, December, January. Yeah, it was mid-December. Okay. And and so you you talked a little bit about is there anything else when reflecting on the training that you did? Um, is there anything else that was new or different that allowed you to go into that race feeling super prepared? Aside from actually listening to my coach uh, pretty much a hundred percent to the letter you are a very good listener <laughs> yeah you told me what to do and, and I went out and I did it uh, I didn't overdo it there were times when I had to uh, maybe listen to my body and maybe take a break maybe more so towards um, like when we were in the tapering phase you know there was some moments when I felt like I don't really need to go out and run today. I'm just going to take a yeah. rest because I, I need it. That and, can be you know, the I, hardest thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where I learned that from, but I, I feel like I learned it just from experience and, and just, mm-hmm. you know, over the years as a runner, I feel like you just think like someone told me I need to run six miles today. So I have to go out and run six, six miles say no matter what. And, you know, going into this year in Fargo, I really was trying to take a different approach, especially near the end, just to make sure that I was just taking care of myself properly. And yeah, I skipped a couple of runs and 
I didn't even feel bad I'm about totally it. Totally fine with that. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, they often say during the taper period, or maybe this is me that often says this during the taper period. At that point, the work is done, right? And it's your game to lose. You can't do any more, but you can sure as heck sabotage it and mm -hmm. and set yourself back. So if there's ever a time to be intuitive about your running and your body, it's it's in that taper period for sure. So for sure. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's what I did. You mentioned that you thought one of the mistakes leading into Manitoba was, you know, you're working a little bit too much. You didn't get the sleep. You didn't hydrate and uh, fuel properly. So did you make any adjustments in that area? Absolutely. I, I actually used a week of, of my vacation time and mm -hmm. took the week off before Fargo this year. So uh, I was at home with my feet up and my noon hydration and, you know, <laughs> eating pancakes and sweet potatoes and pasta all week. Just, uh, just loading up. I'm so proud. <laughs> you know, this is, this is, I think, something else I think we want to pause and highlight. <clears throat> so I actually did this myself for the first time before a race, before Gorge Waterfalls 100K in um, April. For the first time ever, I booked my vacation before the race and not mm. after the race. And we mm. often think, oh, you know, I'm doing this big race. I'm going to need all this recovery time and these days off. Maybe in the beginning when it's your first one or two, yes, you're racked after. But after you get a little bit of time on feet, I think it's very beneficial to do what you just did there of, of actually allowing yourself the space and the time to put it in 100% in the bank and show up at that start line 100% rested with a sleep score of 95 <laughs> and a body battery of 80 or more yeah. so, so that you um, can actually perform well. I have proof of that. Um, yeah. So that's what I did for 2022. And I don't think it's a coincidence that I did the exact same thing in 2018 leading into Fargo. So okay. I took a week vacation before that race mm -hmm. and did, uh. you know, rested before. And, and I, I pulled off a BQ that year mm -hmm. um, and I did the same thing this year and it worked again. So I think there's something to that for sure. There is, there really is. Take note of this listeners, book your vacation at least, at least three or four days before your race not just after. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And does your mind go crazy? Like I know some people are resistant to it because then there's just more time to think and more time to ruminate or whatever. Were you able to distract yourself with other things or did you feel like it just sort of amplified any uh, anxieties you may have had about the race? Yeah, I, I couldn't really distract myself with other things for sure. I, you know, I spent a lot of time kind of just visualizing the race and going through what the strategy was mm -hmm. and you know, mm -hmm. what I would do in certain situations mm -hmm. if, you know, something mm -hmm. maybe didn't go as planned. And you had the advantage of having run it before too. So it was a familiar course. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's a really fun course to run too. Right? Fargo does a really great job. Uh, if anyone's ever looking for a marathon to run, that's a really good one. I was impressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's a really great little town and it's a great event. Yeah. So yeah, I, I spent the week just kind of visualizing things and just preparing and resting. And awesome. I, I, yeah, that made all the difference. So beyond the BQ, uh, did you have any goals for the race? And maybe this would be a great time to walk us through, you know, race day, maybe the night before race day, what was going through your head, all of that? Um, well, 
beyond the BQ. No, that's really, that's all I wanted. That, that was it. I mean, that's why I was going there. Any execution goals? Any process goals for the race? Carolyn and I put together a, a pretty solid game plan and, and race strategy. And, you know, I really was kind of focused on just executing that and really just running like a nice, consistent race. You know, we had a plan to run the first half of the race and a plan to run the second. If there's one thing I could change about, you know, the race, I, I feel like I would maybe try and stick to that strategy a little more. Um, I mean, everything worked out great in the end and, and I, I got what I went for. But as far as like executing that day, um, I think I strayed a little from from our plan just a little bit, just because I felt so good. But what was the plan? Like, in what way did you stray? Did you run more of a positive split than you'd planned? Or like, what was it? Yeah, like the plan was to run a negative split. Um, okay. And it kind of worked in reverse. So it didn't really work out that way. But, um, you know. Positive splits for positive people. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <clears throat> I, uh, I was feeling so good that I, I ended up running, you know, the majority of the race you know, much faster than what we had originally kind of planned. Okay. So about okay. 10 seconds a mile faster, which, you know, I guess adds up over time. Yeah. And then, uh, well, so I think you're being a bit hard on yourself. So we uh, had talked about don't go through halfway any faster than 140. That's what I said right. to you. Cause that would still allow you to go sub 320 if you were feeling good in the second half, but yeah. I have it pulled up right here. You went through halfway in one thirty-eight forty-one, So you are maybe thinking that you had a 317 in you. Would that be fair uh, to say? Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's funny, I guess 317 was, was my A goal. I mean, my, my ultimate goal was just to BQ, but in Manitoba, I trained with a friend of mine and she ended up, qualifying and she did really well in the Manitoba and she finished in 318 and change I don't remember what her exact time was so after I failed in Manitoba I said to myself okay well I'm gonna beat her in my next uh my next race so 317 was kind of the ultimate goal <laughs> super goal so you straight you strayed from the plan but not in a way that would really destroy Set you in the second half. Target. Like you, you, yeah. you went for it, I guess you went for the three seventeen. but in the end, what was your, what was your finishing time? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I remember it was three nineteen and one second. Yeah. We'll call it three nineteen. Wow. So when did you know you had it in the bag? Like, when did you know that this was going to happen? Uh, I knew at mile 17, well, honestly, I knew when I woke up that day, but, um, <sighs> I, I knew at mile 17 during the race, I pretty much kind of settled in with a group of about four or five other people um, that we were all kind of just running at the same speed. I think that happens, you know, during races for people, right? You kind of pick yeah. somebody out in the crowd and you just follow them. Uh, and that's what I did with this group. There was, there was five of them in front of me and we got to mile 17 and we were kind of in one of the university zones. And I noticed that they started to kind of pull away from me just a little bit, right? And I wasn't really too comfortable with that. So I sped up a little bit just so I could catch up with them. And I thought, okay, here we are. We're, we're doing good. And we got into a stretch where the one thing about Fargo is there's a lot of turns. Um, so mm -hmm. we got into a stretch where we finally hit this open stretch of road, but we were going directly into the wind. And 
it was a little bit uphill. It was kind of over a bridge. <clears throat> it wasn't a big hill, but it was, you know, it was uphill. And this group of five, you know, somehow I went in front of them. I got in front of them and I kind of just took off and I just kept increasing the distance between myself and, and them. And I was, I was kind of starting to get worried because I was all by myself now. I just left them far behind. Mm-hmm. And at that point I was like, okay, this is, this is going well. Like, I think I'm onto mm-hmm. something here. Is that when I joined you? It was right around there. Yeah. 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 Cause you were by yourself when I joined you, but I, so just for the listeners, I went down cause there was a, I had a few athletes running that day. And so I was just running around the course with my husband, like finding people and like running 200 meters with them and wishing them luck and whatever. So when, when I joined you, you were going up this little uphill and I ran with you and you were like mindset was right on. You're like, I feel amazing. And at that point, and it was like, I knew it was around 17 miles. I'm like, Chris is good. He's got it. Like you were just smooth and on fire. Yeah. Physically, I felt great. How did it feel to actually cross that finish line and realize that you'd met your goal? Mm. It was... (sighs) amazing I, I can't even really describe it so satisfying to you know finally do it after so many attempts five oh, years of trying yeah, if anyone's yeah. keeping score starting in 2017 and lots of setbacks yeah it was it was cool Jonathan took a video of the finish line and I think I've watched that 200 times I mean it, it yeah, was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that video the look on my face when I'm crossing that is just like so excited, but, you know, I feel like it was just really more of like a satisfaction, you know, like I was just so, I was pretty pleased with myself. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> as be. you should be. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And a five minute and 59 second buffer. Like, can we assume yeah. that this so, gets you in? Like what happens now? Yeah. This is the stupid question period of time for me to say, I don't want to put a damper on this celebration, but how do you know this is good enough for 2023? Well, I've paid pretty close attention to all the different buffer times over the years, uh, and they change from year to year. And you know, the only time I can remember it ever being higher than five minutes and 59 seconds was it was during the pandemic. They reduced the field size. I think they lowered it down to 20,000 or maybe 24,000 or something. So, yeah. but in doing that, they essentially increase that buffer time immensely. And it was over seven minutes. So yeah, I, I feel like 559 is good yeah. enough. Yeah. yeah. I oh. think that's pretty. So is your hotel booked your flight? Hotel's booked. Um, <laughs> and the flight, I'm going to wait. Uh, this time I'm not okay. going to book the flight until fair, September until fair. I get that. Always email. Yeah. Hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's probably pretty smart. So, um, Will you do anything differently to prepare for Boston 2023, do you think? Uh, you know, I, I had a friend who just ran it. Um, and the very first thing she told me was, make sure you train, uh, do a lot of hill training. Um, so that will definitely be part of it, for sure. There was mm-hmm. very little hill training to get ready for Fargo because they don't have any hills. They had like one bridge. Uh, so yeah, I'll definitely add in the hill training, but as far as like everything else goes, everything was so successful for Fargo. I, I really don't want to change too much. 
you know, intensity wise, I really want to do exactly what I did last time. Strategy wise, the same thing, just add in some different elements just to kind of prepare me for that course. That'll kind of be the plan going into Boston. I think that's really smart. I think sometimes that is the temptation, like, oh, I'm so fit now. And you you get that, um, uh, you feel invincible again, and, and then you up things and you up things. And and that's what, you know, you, you spoke about that earlier on in your story, right? And it's like, maybe we just keep doing the same thing and change like very minor little things, like you're saying that to be more course specific, uh, maybe, but I think what you're doing is working. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, the previous five years, you know, the first few times and failures, like I kind of kept doing the same thing, you mm-hmm. know, going into those races and didn't really change much. And obviously that didn't work. Right. So we had to make a few little adjustments along the way. So, yeah. So yeah. I'm also hearing that not only was this a, an exceptional BQ race for you, it sounds like this was also a PR. Is that true? Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So you PR'd at age 50. <laughs> Mic drop. I did. Okay. Like, like granted you didn't start running marathons until 2017. Was it? That was was the first one. Your first one. But, but still you got progressively faster for five straight years into your fifties, which in medical lease, we would say your sixth decade of life. So have hope people like this, this isn't just, you know, a, a slow grinding halt to the grave. You know, you can definitely improve on your athletic performance, even into your late forties and early fifties. So that's great. Good job. Thanks. Yeah. I think that as I've gotten more experience and, and ran more races and kind of learned how to adjust and, and do things a little differently, like the, the mindset thing for me has gotten stronger as well. Like I, I don't know what year it was, but I read a book, uh, you know, David Goggins, lots of people have heard of David Goggins. He's kind of this crazy ultra runner and he had a book called can't hurt me. And he talked about the 40% rule, which goes something like when you're, when you're out there training and running and you feel like you're at your absolute end where you've, can't possibly take another step you're really only at physically about 40 percent of what you're actually capable of and the rest is all just in your mind so i think about that that rule is kind of how i live so Mm -hmm. i i would say in the ulcer world that's a definite truth it's uh, and I think even in life, like let's just like step back for a minute away from running. And like our part of our podcast's purpose is to explore the parallels between running and life. And you know, how many times in our lives do we think we're just at our end and that's it? And I have nothing more to give to my job or my family or my health or whatever it is. And we really haven't even scratched the surface. Of, of our true depth of potential. And I know this sounds really like existential and philosopher-ish, but I think it's important to like draw those parallels both directions, right? Um, not only do we have untapped potential in our running, but also in the energy we put forth in other areas of our life. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, there's definitely people listening that are chasing that elusive BQ. What, uh, advice do you have for someone who may be in that boat, who may be Chris minus four years, <laughs> Chris, <laughs> four years ago, chasing and chasing and chasing. What advice do you have for someone like that? 
Um, well, I mean, it seems obvious, but like, don't ever quit trying. I mean, it took me seven tries to finally yeah. get to a place where, you know, I, I feel like I'm going to get there this time. Um, you know, this was my seventh marathon attempt. I finished six. There was actually another one that I didn't talk about immediately after uh, Manitoba in 2021. Um, so immediately after that failure, I uh, came home and was searching frantically for a marathon that I could go to, to enable me to still try and qualify in that year. Yeah. Uh, and lo and behold, I found the, the Regina marathon actually like one week after the Manitoba marathon. So Oh, how'd that go? That was a disaster. (laughs) I'm just cringing thinking about it as you mentioned it. And and just FYI, I was not your coach at this time. Nobody, like, I definitely want to let Jonathan off the hook too. Like, he he did not recommend I go do that. Like, sorry, um, I didn't. That's not what I meant either. Yeah, I know. I I know. But, um, you know, I was just like so kind of. At that point, I was still a little bit distraught that I had missed the goal. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go do it right now. Yeah. And a week later, I went out to Regina. And yeah, I, I, that's the one marathon I didn't finish. So that was not a yeah. great idea. Okay. Well, you wouldn't be the first one to do a makeup cards. marathon. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, <laughs> advice, for, advice for other people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, aside from never quitting, because it, you know, it takes experience and it takes, yeah. I, you know, people who go out and qualify their first go you know, it's possible, but those people, I think, uh, maybe have a little bit of luck on their side and maybe are just super gifted. Uh, you know, for most of us who really have to try hard, uh, it's going to take you a few tries and, you know, if it's not working, change it. You have to be able to adapt your training plan. your basically your change your whole life in order to make mm-hmm. things kind of work for you. Training for a marathon is really, really hard. It takes about six months of intense commitment if you want to achieve a specific goal that's uh, aggressive you need to commit to six months of training and and stick to it and that that requires a lot of help from people around you assemble that team Mm because you've you've have a really good team, you know, training partners. Um, we didn't talk about your wife, Lisa, but she's super supportive. You have a coach like there. You had a lot of the the big pieces in there, the physiotherapist and, and all of that. So mm-hmm. I think that's amazing advice. And honestly, I did not know all of that story. Like it gives me goosebumps to hear it. And especially to hear it all at once in this interview. So thank you for for coming on. I know there's somebody sure. out there that needs to hear this. And we finally just have to ask, what's next for you be, beyond Boston or between you know between now and Boston? Do you have anything lined up uh, to race and and sort of keep you in the game uh, to bridge those few months? For sure, there's there's some things you know about, and one other thing that you don't yet. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so right away, immediately, we've got the Manitoba Marathon coming up in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to try and throw down a super fast half. My goal is like under 132. You know, Carolyn, you're think you helping me out to try. And, yeah, I think we can do that. Um, and after that, uh, you know, to kind of just bridge the gap between that and Boston, I've been um, kind of harassing the people from uh, the Nike Pace team for the Chicago Marathon. Uh, to try and get in on that. Um, oh. Jonathan is 
uh, is a pacer for the Nike team for Chicago. So I thought that sounds fun. So there's obviously no guarantee that that's going to happen, but Mm -hmm. I would still like to kind of just stay kind of race ready for that just in case. Uh, Because what happened to them last year was, you know, within the last three to four weeks leading up to the marathon, I think they lost close to 10 of their pacers and they were like frantically searching for people, you know, to take their place. And you, I mean, how many people are just ready to hop into a marathon and and pace it? Right. right? So that aren't racing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think that's what I'm going to try and do in the meantime, just uh, stay race ready and maybe get the call for that. So yeah, we'll talk more about that. But maybe pace like the 345 group or the 350 group, not the mm-hmm. not the 320 group. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be, you know, I don't want to say easier, but yeah, maybe uh, a little more chill than what I was running in Fargo. There I think that's there great. Get back in a different too. way. That's awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so, so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. And once again, congratulations on what I can only describe as like the perfect training cycle. You did everything right. You are an absolute joy and pleasure to coach. So thank you for for everything and congratulations again. Thanks so much for talking to me. And it's been amazing. <laughs> <laughs>